Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Finding Yourself After Loss podcast. My name is Vivian Rodriguez Rage. I created this podcast because I want to share my experience with all my widow sisters. I believe everyone has a story to tell, and in telling this story, it helps us know that we are not alone in this journey. Uh, I want to discuss here what has worked for me and what has not, the tools that I have used to survive this journey, and maybe in the hopes that maybe it helps um, some of you. All right, so let me begin by telling you my story. I got married at the age of 17. We were married for 31 years. He was an incredible man, an incredible husband. We were very, very bonded as a married couple, always together. Um, Early in our marriage, we did not want to have any kids since we got married so young, and we did so much traveling. It was just a wonderful journey together. We had so many places we traveled to. Um, Later on, I was not able to have kids, and that was fine because I was much older at that point, so I accepted that fact. Uh, I am an only child, and um, both of my parents died in um, early 2000. So basically, he was my world. Uh, In November of 2012, he began to have chest pains. So I took him to the ER, and they did blood work on him. And the blood work came out so very erratic. At that point, they weren't even concerned about his chest pain. Uh, To make a long story short, basically, the day before Thanksgiving on 2012, he got, and I got the news, that he had acute myeloid leukemia. He did not want to get the conventional treatment. His family, there was a lot of cancer in his family, and he just wanted, if he was going to go conventional, he wanted to try holistic also in combination. So a friend of of mine actually hooked me up with a cancer center in Philadelphia, And we traveled from Florida to the cancer center there. While he was there and he was getting evaluated, he developed chest pains and he had to be rushed to Pennsylvania Hospital. Later on that day, uh, I found out that he needed a triple bypass and they could not do that because of the leukemia and that They could not treat the leukemia because of the heart condition. Doctors uh, told me right there in the um, post-op surgery room to prepare for hospice. Uh, I was completely by myself. I remember I couldn't even dial out because there was no connection, you know, with the cell, cell service and try to dial out to my only family member is like, I have an adopted mom which I love like my mom and to tell her the news and um, I just couldn't so I almost fell to the floor the nurses were there they hugged me they gave me water and it was about a week later um, after the three weeks of his diagnosis, that he passed away and he was 48 years old Some of you may have had a long journey with your spouse or your husband. I did not have that. Um, I only had three weeks. And we had just gone back from a trip in September to Las Vegas where, you know, he seemed a bit tired, but it wasn't like he was really ill. Um, In some way, honestly, I am grateful I did not see him suffer um, and that, you know, he did not suffer. Uh, but on the other hand, it was very traumatic. Not that either or is traumatic, no matter how. I think we can all know that 
the loved one is going to die, but when until it could be years, but until it finally happens, it really doesn't hit you. Somehow we still hold hope. Somehow they're still there. We can still talk to them somewhat. We can still hold their hands. You know, they're there, but when it death is the finale, final, it happens and they're gone. At that point, I had to go back to Florida. I was on a plane not knowing whether my husband's body was in the compartment below or not. And um, I, I had two choices. I knew at that point that I had two choices. I could either, when I got home to Florida, take my car and put it in the garage and end my life or somehow make a way to make sense of it all and take this experience into helping others. I knew if I could survive this, that anyone can or could. Um, I'm no different than any of my widow sisters than any of you out there. In fact, I may be weaker. I remember before my nightmare began many times freaking out over things that would happen in my life. And then I would calm myself down and I would say, no, no, you know, my husband is still with me. Everything's going to be okay. I'm going to survive this and everything is going to be fine until he died. And then when he died, I was like, well, now what? I have nothing that I can say that is going to put me together. I have nothing that I can, that I, and my support system is gone completely. And, um, you know, I realized in a way that we all have a day that we are born and we all have a day that we are, we die. And it just so happens that my husband died at 48. And of course there's so many that have died even younger than him. All right. Um, so now it, as I mentioned before, I am no different than any of my widow sisters out there. I just want to create this podcast and my journey is I want to empower my widow sisters and give you the tools that have helped me. Okay, this is my journey. This is my story. And maybe somehow it can help you, you know. Um, I think as women, we're all wrapped up into being a wife. Uh, and when we lose being a wife since we're no longer have that husband. I mean, legally, I, you know, I mean, in my mind, I'm still a wife, but you know, we're no longer have that person to take care of. I think we tend to lose our identity. Um, so in order to survive, I believe, um, for me, this is my journey again, we have to create a whole new you, a whole new me that I had to create. And I think for so many of us, we lose not only do we lose our spouse but there's also so many secondary losses that happens we lose families that were involved with the spouse um we lose that factor and but our main support system is gone our main support system is gone so in many ways i had to basically reinvent myself and um and that's what i've done I still remember when he was alive, I would come home from work and um, it was such an empty house as many of you widows know, you know, and it was a simple things. And this is part that I talk about the identity that we lose, like we don't know what to do. And for me, it was the fact that one of the many ones were the fact that I would come home from work and I would not have anyone to cook for 
it felt so sad not know not having a person that as much as I resented it when he was alive and I would have to come home from work and oh god I gotta go cook on the other hand I felt that I missed that I missed that part that I had someone to cook for so this is one of my examples in this journey where I think you know we it it really makes us even sadder because it's not just a person it's all the things that you did revolving around that person that also now you have no identity you have a no you're no longer a missus um and i think that brings our grief and it magnifies it even more and the grief of, of losing that person too so it's it's like more pain involved in this journey so what i have learned in this process is that I had to reinvent myself. Um, and this is the journey that I'm sharing with all of you. Um, you may find your own reinvention, and that's great. And that's what I'm just here to share with you, my tools. Um, the fact is that being a widow changes you. It totally makes you a different person. It totally, it's experiences and things that we do now that looking back, I'm, you know, since 2012, I say, my goodness, I have done so many things that I never thought I would do. And yet I did them, you know, so losing someone really changes you totally. Widowhood changes you. And that's something that you'll never be the same. Uh, will you completely heal? No, I believe you don't. I believe we do heal to a point, but never completely. It's always going to be that scar that at any given moment, it will um, open itself. And you're going to be right in the griefs of the wave of grief will come at you once again. So after my husband died, I went on a grief support group on Facebook and uh, I met a, a widow there. You may know him. His name is Bill. And we have our own grief support group on Facebook called Hope After Loss. He was um, he's he's in New York and I was in Florida we met in person, we fell in love, and I was the one that had to make the decision to move uh, to New York. And I did. I mean, I left everything behind. I left, you know, my house is still there, but I left my job, I left my state, and I began a brand new life for myself. Uh, to tell you that this was easy, absolutely not. Um, it is still a struggle on a day to day basis having to deal with everything. But it has helped me. And it has helped me to grow. And the experiences have been incredible, good and bad ones. But they've been incredible. And I am a stronger person now than I was when I got here. That's for sure. Now, even though I am remarried, I believe in myself, I am still a widow. That's my first thing. I am a widow. And I am married now to two men, as I call them. One is in heaven and the other one is on earth. Um, I will always be a widow. I know that my path in life right now is to help others in this journey. Since then, I have become a certified life coach specializing in spirituality and grief. Um, and I want the best for my widow sisters out there. And that is my goal. I want to empower my widow sisters. And together, we can all be what I call warriors of widowhood and survive this. Um, so now you know a little bit about myself and my story. 
Now, I would like to talk about my first six shows. I was always trying to debate what would be the topic, and I have so many topics to talk about, so it's going to be quite interesting journey here. But I thought maybe the first six shows would be the topic on the stages of grief. I have read so many books on this with it touching on the stages. And I want to mention a couple of things. The stages of grief were written by Elizabeth Roth Gerber. She wrote them in mind as she interviewed people that were in the last stages of dying. It was later on incorporated into our journey of widowhood and widow and widowers. Um, I like to mention that because a lot of people may not know this and I found out later on. Um, and I like the stages of grief. The only thing is that I would have to say is that, uh, it is not in order. It was never being, it was, I don't think it was ever meant to be so much in order, but for us widows and widowers, I know that we can be in one stage and then we can sort of go back to the stage three and then we go back to stage one. So there's no way, there's no order to this. Just like there's no right or wrong way to do grief. There's no order in the stages. Okay. The reason I do like the stages is because it gave me some kind of um, reading material where at least I can look at it and I can say, well, I'm not going crazy. Yeah, I do feel that. And yeah, I do feel this. And that's the reason why I do like the stages. Um, although it's so important not to feel because a lot of us, when I read it, I was like, oh gosh, I first got to do this and then I got to do that and then I got to be this and then I got but it doesn't work that way. It's it's all we are all over the place as widows, as we all know. It's a roller coaster and the roller coaster goes all over the place. All right. Um, so this is the order that I have decided to, I sort of like incorporated what she wrote, but I kind of have made my own six stages of grief with my own twist to it. And this is what my podcast will be based on. So I'm going to go and go one by one. The first one is chalk and denial, which we're going to touch on today in this show. The second one is anger. The third is bargaining. The fourth is depression. The fifth is, which would be depression, anxiety, and pain and all that. I, you know, it's all wrapped up into one. The fifth is acceptance and hope. And number six is reinvention of yourself and a whole new life. All right. And those two are really number five and number six are really the ones towards the end of your stages when you know that um, you're moving forward. You know, you never recover, but you're moving forward. So um, some of you may have already moved um, forward on your shock and denial, which is really the first stage I believe that we go through. Um, looking back for me, and this is what we're going to touch on on this side, this one is shock and denial. My shock and denial was so apparent. Uh, I felt I was so numb after he passed. It all happened so quickly and so fast. I felt like I was living in a nightmare. Like sometimes I wanted to pinch myself and say, I really got to wake up. I really got to wake up with this, you know. And um, I remember now looking back how much in shock and denial I was. Uh, I had to get back to work. Now I was the sole breadwinner, as mo many of you widow sisters know. I remember in the middle of the night waking up. And go into the bathroom and I would see that there was an empty bed and there was a couple of times that I just felt like crying and I would cry then for hours and then I was exhausted and I had to go to work regardless of how exhausted I was I still had to go to work and then I started thinking to myself 
and fooling my mind when I woke up in that dizzy, you know, sleepy head that we get up in the morning and we go to the restroom in the odd hours of the night, not only in the morning, but in the odd hours of the night. And I said to myself, I said, you know what? I am going um, I said, I'm going to tell myself like, you know, oh, he's just at work. He's just at work. And I did that. And it actually worked. I would just tell myself with my sleepy head, oh, he's working because my husband would wake up at three o'clock in the morning, and go to work. And you know what? It worked. I was able to go to sleep. And then looking back through the day, I remember how it sort of worked and how I fooled my brain into thinking this. And I thought, I must be nuts, you know? But it was my survival mode. It was the thing that I was doing to to survive, to survive this. And it, it worked and I was able to go back to work um, the next day, you know. So it, it, it kept me from not from being able to go to sleep, at least get a couple of hours and go to sleep and be able to go to work. So that's one of the things that I think was struck in the knob. And I, and I look back now and I was just a numb. There were so many times I remember going to a place and not even knowing how I got there. What, how did I get here? Oh, and, and it was just numb. It was like, I sort of call it like that Novocaine they put on your teeth and they, they can do anything in your mouth and you don't feel anything. Well, for me, I felt that and I would forget things and I would go in such a slow motion constantly. And that was my life. And I think that lasted for me, again, my personal experience for one year. After the year, like I say, the Novocaine wear off and the pain was deeper for me I remember just feeling like oh my gosh like this is really this is really true he's not coming back it really this really did happen I'm not gonna wake up from the nightmare it's I'm living the nightmare and it's my life this is gonna be my life for the rest of my life and um and that was very difficult you know I think the second year for me when the Novocaine stopped um, numbing me, <laughs> I think that was really what, what hit me the hardest, you know, that really was very difficult. I think we go through this shock and denial state. Um, now that I've done research on it and I've done my own, you know, opinion on it because our minds need, our hearts need time to catch up with our mind. Our mind knows the reality of what has happened in our life, but our heart needs to catch up with it. So we need that time because I think that if we fully, fully would understand and comprehend at the moment that they take their last breath, what our life is going to be without them, I think we would just die right there and then. That's just my opinion. I think it was just like, forget it. You know, the pain is just beginning now and, and, and I'm just going to die. It's just better to die. So I think we sort of like go through that stage of shock and denial because we need to get accustomed of the tragic event that has taken place in our life and that's the best way I could sum it up I always tell people it's like your heart needs to come together with your mind your mind knows because you buried him you planned the burial you did everything you know he's not there but your heart your heart still is is like getting used to this like you know that emptiness so 
I think that is um, the reason why we go through that. So what I want to discuss in this podcast of the shock and denial is the tools that I that I did that helped me survive that first stage and what I did that actually did not help me and what I did wrong you know so I kind of like wrapped it up into like six things um to do and I know that some of my widow sisters have already gone through this and if you have you probably might think maybe what worked what didn't work and you might be able to relate to some of this and if you're going through it which sometimes it really doesn't even matter honestly if it's a year um it could take longer everybody's different i always say grief is a fingerprint everybody has a different fingerprint and everybody goes through it differently so track and denial does not necessarily have to last a year like it did to me it could last you two years it could last you three years it could last it's just no there's no end to grief you know there really isn't there's no time frame it's not like i tell people it's not like i'm getting over a cold and the doctor says oh it's gonna it's gonna you're gonna get over it in you know about a week it takes two weeks the flu takes x amount of time no we're always gonna be widows we're always gonna be in pain it's just to what level we're in but it's always going to be there and we can go right back to the shock and denial, even though you might've been already in another stage and then something happens and you're right back and your mind is telling you, well, wait a minute, well, what happened? How could this have happened to my life? And you're like all in a daze again. And that's very normal, very normal for it to happen. So I'm going to explain to you what is it that uh, tools that have worked for me, as I mentioned before, and I have six of them. And the first thing that I want to say, tool number one is take a step back, take a step back, relax and meditate. Do not overdo yourself with work. And this is where I went wrong. I took in three jobs. I was exhausted. And I thought, you know what? The more I do, the more I do, the more I do, the less I got to think about that he's done in my life, the less I got to deal with anything that that has to pertain to that. And then if I can go to bed exhausted and go to sleep and then do it again the next day, oh, well, I'm going to I'm just going to get through this this way. Well, it doesn't work that way because when nighttime came, yes, I was exhausted. Number one. Number two. Now. I really wanted to let my emotions out. I wanted to let my feelings out. I wanted to, you know, really be able to cry, something I haven't been able to do all day. And I'm a person that tends to let everything in, doesn't let everything out. But even at that point, even me, I wanted to let everything out and I couldn't. So do not overwork yourself, but really do take time to relax and take time for yourself. It is very vital and important in this process. One of the things that I learned later on when I figured I was doing so this wrong is to meditate. Um, and what I mean by meditating is just sit down in a nice part of your house, a garden, maybe your backyard, go to a beach and sit down and just really not try not to cry. Try not to let your grief take the best of you in that situation. OK, and just meditate. I feel I'm a very spiritual person and I feel when we meditate, we connect with our soul. We connect with them and we connect with our creator, God. So try to do that as much as you can. And number two would be cry as much as you need to cry, cry, cry. I'm the kind of person that I would be in a supermarket and it was like, no, I can't cry. 
And then I realized like, no, you're a widow. <laughs> you can cry. And, you know, if people don't understand it, fine. And if they do, fine. It doesn't matter. I need to cry. I need to let my grief out. I need to let my pain out. So cry. And some of you can't hold it. Some of you can't be like me. You cannot hold it. You It just comes out and it floods. And that is great because you're letting it out and you are healing, you know, the pain. You're letting your grief out. Number three, I would say talk to your talk to your loved ones. Um, as I mentioned, I'm a very spiritual person. Um, I don't associate myself with any religion, but I respect all religions, and I respect those of you that are in, in um, the, you know, the religion. Uh, but I see my soul seems to be more in tune with spirituality. I believe in God. I believe in His Son. And, um, and that's really the person that I am. And I believe in, in heaven. I believe in the afterlife. I believe in that. And I believe that our, that they always are always with us. So, um, I would always, after he passed away, I would always talk to him. Always, always. I would spend like conversations with him. Whoever would see me would think I'm nuts, but you know what? I felt him and I felt him close to me. So why not speak to him? You know, I remember one story. I will say that he had a friend of his that was coming to visit my house after he passed to give me the condolences. He was a really nice person and he was driving all the way from Tampa, um, two hour drive to visit me. And um, I had fixed the house pretty good. And, you know, my grief and everything. I wanted my house really nice. And I went into the bedroom, make sure everything was tidied up and everything was fine. And I walked out of the bedroom and I remember him telling me, don't forget the basket of laundry you have at the corner of the room. And I look and I just like heard his voice clear as a bell. So I went back into the room and there it was the basket at the corner where I didn't see it. And I put my hands on my waist and I said, you got to be kidding me. You are dead and you're still on top of everything that's going on in this house. You know, not that he was that kind of man that would tell me that, but you know, that he was still with me, you know, is what I meant to say. And I found that so ironic and maybe I'm crazy, but hey, it was my experience, you know. So talk to your loved ones because I believe they're there and they hear you. All right. Number four, talk about them to other people talk and talk and talk when he passed away all I wanted to do was just talk 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 to you know to anyone that would hear my story even with uh Bill I was me and him were always sharing stories about our spouses um and some of my little sisters have problems with a family or friends that don't want to mention their name. They haven't gone through grief. They don't know what it is to lose someone. They don't want to mention their name. They don't want to talk about it. They think it's taboo. I say, you know, explain to them that your husband might have died, but he was still, number one, your husband. He's still not your husband. Number two, he is with you in your heart and he is with you in heaven and that you don't want to pretend like he never existed. Um, and explain that to them and see if maybe they understand that concept a little bit better. If they don't and you still have that situation, you may need to rethink things and take a step back with that family or friend and not maybe not put yourself in that position where you have to pretend like your husband never existed. Um, just, just food for thought. Um, maybe you can't, but if you can... And I would just explain it to them. I said, you know, if you cannot, 
you know, if I can't talk about my husband because it really, you know, is something that you guys don't like, then that's fine. But I choose maybe to go somewhere else or spend it somewhere else because I really need to talk about him, especially during the holidays. And, and I need to share stories and I need to keep him alive because he's still alive. He's still alive in my heart. So why not keep him alive? You know, so that would be number four uh, for me to say to you to do. Number five would be to eat. Try to eat a little bit. I know that uh, there is absolutely no appetite whatsoever. Uh, but try, try to eat, um, even if it's just a little fruit, even if it's just a little something. I remember I would spend time that I wouldn't eat and I would feel like really dizzy and I would feel like I'm about to faint. <laughs> I would say like, I don't know what's going on with me. Why am I feeling this now? And I remember I hadn't eaten all day. It was like five o'clock, six o'clock and I hadn't eaten anything throughout the whole day. So try to give yourself just a minute and say, I'm going to have a fruit, whatever maybe, you know, might feel that would go down good. Okay, so try to have that. And I would say number six, me being a spiritual person. And if you aren't, if you have a belief system, uh, pray. Um, I remember when he died, um, my mom passed away in her sleep. And every day I would wake up in the morning and I would be so miserable because I wanted to pray to God so he would take me in his sleep as he did my mom. And every time I would wake up, I remember feeling so miserable. And I would be like, oh, God, I'm still alive. I can't believe it. I'm still alive. Why? And then I began to think, I said, well, you know what? What if I started to change this into telling God, why am I still alive? Why? And asking God and saying, okay, God, you gave me another day to live. I want you to show me why and what is my purpose to be here? So every day I decided to change it and say every day I would open my eyes. I remember leaving my bed, getting out of bed and saying, God, it's another day. I'm still here. Show me what my purpose is. Why am I still here? And it was very interesting because my prayers began to get answered. I began to find things. I began to understand myself more. I began to get whispers as God says he talks in whispers to you. And I began to feel the reason and it was to help others. And by helping others, it really helps me too, you know, and it was other reasons too. It was because I still have my journey. My journey hadn't ended yet. It's, I'm still here for a reason. And, um, and so mother, so many other revelations that started appearing. So I think if we ask him, why are we still here? I think it's not something that's going to happen like overnight. He's going to say, well, you're still here because of this and this and this. But he will in whispers talk to you and you're going to see people in your life. And, you know, I met Bill. So obviously I have that purpose. And so, you know. And now I help other people and, you know, in my journey, I become a grief coach. So what I'm saying is that there's a purpose for each and every one of us here. And there's a reason why we're still here. So um, it's good to ask him why and may he will reveal it. All right. So um, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. <laughs>
music means that our show is ending. I want to thank you all so very much for taking the time to listen to my podcast. I hope I was able to provide you with some tools that have helped me in this journey. If you would, um, if you like what you heard, please share it with others in this journey. Uh, you can find me at findingyourselfafterloss.com. Uh, you can find me on my Facebook page, Finding Yourself After Loss, and in our grief support group um, on Facebook called Hope After Loss. I would love to hear from you. All comments and suggestions are welcomed. Stay tuned for our next podcast, which will be on the stage of anger, which I tend to have a lot of. <laughs> so till then, may God bless you on this journey. Take care. Bye.